Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris back again. Episode 180, going back to 1994. Another Dream Theater episode as we cover the Awake album. One of the forgotten classics in their catalog in many ways. But we will get there uh, in due time, my friend. How are you doing? How was your week? Good. I'm wondering when you're going to choose the Dream Theater album to talk about on this podcast. It's, I'm shocked that uh, I've chosen all three Dream Theater episodes so far. When Dream and Day Unite is not far behind, my friend. But we will we will get there in, in due time. Certainly a, a timely choice given the recent news with Mike Portnoy back in the fold and, and obviously rejoining uh, you know, a, a classic Dream Theater lineup. I mean, when you consider how long Jordan Rudis has been in the band... And how short a time period the other two keyboard players, including Kevin Moore, who we will talk about momentarily, um, you know, it, this is the classic lineup for all intents and purposes. So I look forward to to seeing them live again, and I look forward to the new music. But it, you know, we that's stuff we will get to. Obviously, we, today we we talk about Awake and and, and that. Um, but I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't start with two albums that I heard this week. Two albums that could not be any different. I'm talking about two albums that if you put them side by side, you'd be surprised that the same person got some enjoyment out of both of these things. But uh, I did. So let me start with a band out of the UK. I'm not making this up. The band is called Vamoosery. V-A-M-O-O-S-E-R-Y. And they came out with a new album called Moving Forward. They are progressive rock. Very... Accessible, I would put them kind of in the alt-rock category just in terms of the delivery. Really interesting album. I thought it was a – there was elements of Pure Reason Revolution, which, you know, obviously attracted me, elements of alt-rock, which I thought were, were interesting. And it was just a very easy listen, uh, especially the top half of the album. There's a couple of songs uh, on the on the front end which really grabbed me. So uh, worth checking out. I will post a track from that album later this week. And on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, moving over to Athens, Greece, we have a band called Ethereum, which is melodic death metal, but emphasis on the death and, and, and a little bit less on the melody, I think. But these guys sounded like a complete blend of behemoth meets amorphous, and it just checked off a lot of boxes for me. Uh, it's an album I want to go back to. I think it deserves at least another spin or two. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Um, I, I kind of see this band taking off, although I don't know that how much acclaim this particular album got. Uh, the album is called, um, oh goodness, what is the album called? The name escapes me. But um, yeah, the band is called Athenian. The album is called At Storm's Edge. It's uh, came out earlier this year. It's got about eight tracks. Again, not not for everyone, I admit, but something that I think people um, should definitely definitely check out. But with that, let me turn it over to you, my friend. Have you uh, checked anything new out or, or interesting that are, is worth mentioning? Yeah, th- there was one album I listened to that I forgot about. Um, I guess that's not the greatest uh, endorsement, but um, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, this is a band that I got turned on to by... Uh, prog power promoter glenn harveston and uh the band is called temple balls and they are from uh they're like a, a melodic hard rock band from finland uh they have a new album called avalanche and um you know if you like your if you like your your uh frontiers style uh you know 
melodic metal slash melodic hard rock. Like this stuff is just a, a lot of fun and really enjoyable. And um, I don't know if I, can't, I haven't decided if I like it as much as their previous album, which was the first album I had heard from them. Um, but uh, I, I just know that I enjoyed it and I'll be definitely going back to it. So, you know, if you're a fan of the, the kiss and dynamites and that, that style, um, this is definitely a, a recommendation. I, Really enjoyed it. Uh, there were a couple of tracks that really stood out to me. I, I don't think I liked it as much as the debut. Admittedly, that debut album, or, or at least their last album, just hit me right away. I kept listening to it. It was way high in the, on the top of my you know, year-end list. I think it was top five, if I'm not mistaken. It just really blew me away. This one has some really great moments. There's a couple of tracks that I was a little eh about, but uh, definitely a good listen and the high points make it all the all the all the worthwhile. Uh, well put, yeah. I really enjoyed the uh, the the title track, which was I think was the opening track on the album. Um, definitely recommend uh, at least checking out that song. If if not, any, I think the it's the last it. track. I think the I think the title track was the last track. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of all night long. Uh, Great song. That was the opening track. Great yeah, song. Sorry about that. No, no, just uh, just for clarity's sake. But a really enjoyable song. I think that. Um, you know, I think that it's 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 the kind of band that doesn't take a lot to to enjoy. Very very um, accessible is the word, and full of hooks. I think that the second you listen, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily thinking man's music, but at the same time, thoroughly enjoyable. And I hope to see them live one day. I feel like that would be one hell of a live show. Absolutely. So we get to awake. We get to nineteen ninety four. We've covered images and words. We've covered falling into infinity. Uh, we will cover a change of seasons for our Patreon members later this month. So if you're curious to hear our thoughts on that EP, uh, and I definitely have some strong thoughts on, on that one, uh, I would encourage you to join our Patreon. But in the meantime, we kind of do the uh, the cream in the middle of the cookie, if you will, from, from, from this album. And it was really a period of transition, I think, for, for Dream Theater in that they were coming off the heels of this massive success with with the Pull Me Under single and Images and Words, which obviously is an album that you and I um, both think are just flawless in many ways. And then they have to follow it up two years later with another release, and it would wind up being the departure of Kevin Moore from the band, who had been there since their beginning, you know, you know, since the early days. And then obviously they would change their sound dramatically. Uh, at least with the next release, I, I guess the, the 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 question I want to ask at the at the outset is when you got into Dream Theater, and you may not even know the answer, but when you got into Dream Theater, had you been told anything about this album? Like it's it's their magnum opus, it's it, it's as good as Images and Words, or was it just get Images and Words and then you checked out the rest kind of by accident? Uh, Images and Words was actually the third Dream Theater album that I got, and Awake and Falling into Infinity were actually the first two. I bought both so close together that I can't remember which came first, but at the time, Falling into Infinity was brand new. Um, and Dream Theater was a weird band because as we kind of have alluded to over the you know 180 episodes that we've done... Um, they were not part of that original mixtape. Uh, and we did a, a, a bonus episode with the 
creator of the mixtape, Mr. Ralph Melillo, and he kind of talked about at least what he could remember about making that <laughs> tape many, many years ago. Um, but we were trying to kind of posit, uh, you know, the reason why he wouldn't have put any Dream Theater on that tape. So I was always curious because they would, you know, Pat and Ralph would talk a lot about Dream Theater. And I was like, well, why the hell um, were they not on this mixtape if they were such a, a big deal? Uh, and so I think that I kind of just grabbed both albums. Like I saw them in the store and I bought them. Um, I feel like because they were, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Falling into infinity was brand new. Awake was their second newest album. Uh, you know, not counting the change of seasons EP. So I think they were a little bit easier to find in a record. You know, when you walk into a record store, uh, images and words, I believe I got as a Christmas gift. Um, Along with Streets by Sabotage. That was a good Christmas. Oh, uh, boy, I'll albums. say. Yeah, yeah. really. Um, so I think I got Images and Words a couple of months later. I think when I had told Pat that I had gotten Fallen into Infinity and Awake, he was like, well, you really should get Images and Words, too, because that really is, like, the the album. But um, I, to be honest, I don't really remember listening to Awake a lot when I first had it. It was, like, kind of over the years that it um, kind of slowly crept into my, you know, consciousness or my stream of consciousness, if you will. Uh, <laughs> you just, you know, um, but I think at the time I, I, I was kind of more drawn to falling into infinity because I think it was a little bit more accessible for somebody who was kind of new into metal with some of like, you know, the power ballads and, and it just was a little bit more commercial. And I think that appealed to my, you know, virgin metal ears at the time. You couldn't have picked up two more divergent albums. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, in other words, not that Falling Into Infinity doesn't have its moments, but by and large, Awake is such a dark release and such a heavy release. Not not every song, of course. We'll, we'll get to those outliers, if you will. But it just has such a different feel, in my opinion, than Falling Into Infinity, which would just come out three years later. Um, I can't imagine putting in both and thinking, oh, my God, it's the same band, because it sounds like two completely, completely different um, eras. You would think that they were 20 years apart in many ways. It's it, it's wild. And again, not that all I mean, of- even Even when you look at the, the album art, like the, the, the classic Dream Theater logo is not even on the falling into infinity artwork, like it might as well have been two different bands. For sure, for sure. And, you know, the, like I said, the band was touring incessantly for, um, you know, for, for the Images and Words uh, tour, which was a massive success. And then it's time to get back in the studio. So they wind up beginning to write the album in February of 94. It lasts for about two months. Uh, for those that don't know, there are a bunch of demo recordings that were released by the band. So you can actually listen to all of these songs in, you know, a, a rather complete demo format, which is, which is kind of cool. But, you know, they, they get into the studio, they start, you know, writing this stuff and recording this stuff. And apparently, uh, it was just one problem after another. The, the band was at each other's throats. There was a lot of infighting and it would ultimately, at least in part, be the cause of Kevin Moore's departure from the band. And obviously Derek Sherinian would take over for the A Change of Seasons EP, which would come out a year later and obviously the subsequent tour. Uh, but this really did mark a tremendous pivot for the band. And and it's interesting because 
they would never reunite with Kevin Moore. They they just it was it was like lost the time. There was never any. You know, they just they they went their separate ways. Obviously, he he became very successful in his own career, and that was just the end of the end of this era of dream theater. But we have this massive, and, and, and when I say massive, I don't just mean in terms of length. It's a seventy-five minute album, but it's a it was a massively successful release for the band. You know, this was the highest rated, ranked, uh, the highest charting dream theater album. Um, they wouldn't see the kind of success until 2007 with systematic chaos. Uh, that peaked at 19 awake peaked at 32 on the billboard charts. And for those that are listening that don't know the billboard charts are the measure of how many album sales you have. And 32 on the U S billboard charts, especially in 1994 is a lot of units moved. Can you imagine looking at that chart and seeing like Dookie and Smash and Awake like all yeah. on the same list? It's it couldn't be more different, but in many ways, uh, there are some. Hear me out. There's some grungy, dark, dirty elements to this album, which kind of makes sense. It was really timely in that regard, and I think if they would have come out with Scenes from a Memory in 1994, I don't think it would have done nearly as well as it did, you know, four or five years later. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the timing for this was really quite quite perfect because I think that it really provided um a really nice counterpoint to images and words cuz I think that you know, we'll talk about scores at the end, but I think that this is a very worthy follow-up, but they didn't you know, repeat the formula. And I think that that's a really impressive thing because we're talking about their second and third albums ever. And they, you know, rather than them trying to just make another images and style, images and styles, images <laughs> and words style album, um, you know, they, 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 I feel like they went a little bit different, you know, kind of, uh, they went heavier, they went a little bit darker. Um, and it works. Like, it really works. Like, this is not, uh, this is not like a Pink Bubbles Go Ape or Chameleon situation, as we talked about with Halloween, where they were trying to, you know, placate a label or, or whatever, whatever it was they were trying to do. Um, this is happens to be one of those situations where like uh, uh, the, the tense, the tension uh, between the, the personnel seemed to um, really create a, a positive um, product uh, at the end of the day. I agree with you. It's just interesting to me because when you talk about the great dream theater albums with a lot of fans, they go to images and words. They talk about scenes. A lot of people will talk about some of the newer material in, in different fashions. I don't know how you can talk about the great Dream Theater albums. And I don't mean the great, but I mean like the completely um, revolutionary, top of the top of the heap Dream Theater albums, and not include this one. To me, this this completes the trifecta for me with six degrees of inner turbulence one small notch behind these three like to me those were their their best albums and i like falling into infinity i i don't i'm not ashamed to admit that but compared to awake it's 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 two it's two different bands like i mentioned it's just two different two different products but what i'm curious about is whether or not this album not whether it held up for you i know you obviously probably enjoyed it this week but was it better than you potentially remembered it going back all these years 
And I say that because there was a period where I had listened to images and words so much that I actually became habitually addicted to awake because it was my alternative to images, which I didn't want to hear anymore. So I played yeah, this album. It's like, the old, it's like the old joke. He got so many rights, he was begging for a left. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> and and, so, and that's where we're at, right? Because I just I played the I played this album nonstop. I mean, absolutely nonstop. Once I had gotten kind of sick of images and words, um, so I knew this album exceptionally well going into this week. And it hasn't missed a beat for me. Uh, you know, to answer your question, like, it was slightly better than I remember it. But I remember it being very, very good. So it, I just, uh, this was just a late bloomer Dream Theater album for me. Um, I can't really pinpoint when it really struck me as being, like, one of their all-time great albums. Um Back when I was in high school, it was just kind of like the album that filled in the gap because at, at that point it was kind of like trying to just get everything that existed because, you know, at that point Dream Theater had four albums and an EP, uh, so it wasn't that hard to to catch up. Whereas if you were starting to be a fan of the band now, you'd have a lot of work to do um, because no they have quite, they've released quite a few albums uh, since uh, the, the 90s came to a close after scenes from a memory was released. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just enjoyed the hell out of, of listening to this again. I, I don't remember the last time I sat down, let's do it start to finish, but um, it, it definitely, I think um, it definitely, I think the, the, the images and words masterpiece casts a shadow on it. And then the, you know, the controversy of falling into infinity followed by the, you know, all the, the positive, um, you know, all, all the, 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 the lauding that, that scenes from a memory got, this almost feels like it got kind of like lost in the shuffle because, you know, it wasn't, uh, one of any of those three aforementioned albums. It was kind of just that the other one. And, um, and I'm not speaking, you know, in terms of how fans felt. That's just how I kind of saw it. Um, but uh, as a big fan of this, you know, Kevin Moore era of Dream Theater, which, again, uh, you know, only lasted for about, you know, for three albums. Um, I I really like this album a lot. And I think that, it, again, like, it really is a, a phenomenal counterpoint to images and words, I think just these two albums together are really just um, the best of the best for me when it comes to this band or, or really any progressive metal music that exists that I've heard anyway. I agree with you. Um, when I go back to these albums, which I just don't have right now in heavy rotation because of the gluttony of other stuff that's out there. Going back to this was such a treat. And I actually got a little depressed because I said to myself, as much as I love Prague, nothing matches this. Like you, you're talking about like the – I don't know how you'd write songs that were better than some of the stuff that was coming out around this time from this band. Like that's that's what I would say. So I think of all the great prog metal albums that have come out the last 10 or 15 years and there's been some great stuff. But it's a notch below what what images and words, and, and I'd argue what Awake was as well. So without further ado, I think we've done a nice backdrop um, on the album. 
let's uh let's let's get into it. Uh James Labrie on vocals, John Petrucci on guitars, John Mayung on bass, Kevin Moore on keys, and Mike Portnoy back with the band, uh, but doing the drums on this album as well. You know, th- this is an album that um they they got a little more experimental in ways, and I don't think that there's any more um or any better example of that than the opening track six o'clock. And I say that because this has this extended drum into it has like a drum intro, which is really, really cool. But with all these vocal sound effects and all these things that are kind of popping up through the song, which is really, again, makes you think and kind of makes you wonder like, well, what the hell are they trying to, to, to get across with a song like this? And, you know, I'll say this, it's, it's, uh, Apparently, and again, this is according to Wikipedia, so I, I want to give credit where credit is due. It's a song where the lyrics were written by Moore, and he's basically kind of hinting at his the distance between him and the band at the time, which I thought was interesting because, you know, like I said, sometimes uh, through insanity breeds ingenuity. But this this is a great, and I mean great, opening track. I used to love this song. I used to think that. It was one of those, it was just like the perfect opener. And I don't know that I love it as much as I used to as compared to the other songs on the album, but it's still an absolute gem of a track. Kind of groovy. Um, everyone has a chance to shine on this thing and you just bang your head during that killer chorus, which is so catchy. Um, what I noticed immediately though is that the range for Labrie is lower on this track and many other tracks on the album. And I really wonder if that's because if, if, if the stories are true, the images and words tour just did a complete number on his voice. And so when he recorded this album, he didn't try to hit many of those really, really high notes. He just kind of went down an octave or two, but he sounds great. And it's really, really interesting stuff. Um, I love the final verse that really resonates with me, both in terms of the key change and the lyrics, just a really interesting, introspective track in many ways. Yeah. Oh man, this is such a, such an uh, just a, a unbelievable way to kick off uh the album um I, I one of my favorite lyrics of all time nobody knows what they want till they finally let it all go i think it was in my AOL profile uh back in back in the 90s you know huh. I, what, at my my attempt to be uh poignant um always wanted to see the uh the movie that that um the 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 little sample the acting samples that were pulled uh into the song it's a it's a movie called uh the dead that came out in 1987 um i know nothing uh, basically i'll just give you a quick synopsis based on what imdb said uh it just says gabriel conroy and wife greta attend an early january dinner with friends at the home of his spinster aunts an evening which results in a, an epiphany for both of them so um interesting uh interesting I, I was just always wondered where that came from um it was always curious but like when dream theater would you know um drop these like little things i remember the um in take the time there was that a little italian um spoken word part that that they had um Interesting stuff, but uh, yeah, you know, th- this song is, um, uh, you know, one of those songs where like there's soft parts, there's heavy parts. Um, I-, I agree with you. I love, uh, you know, Labrie. I give Labrie a lot of a lot of flack because I just think that he's a 
a pretty rough sounding live singer these days, but I mean, like this is like prime, you know, I love his, his studio voice back then. Like his vocals were so unique and it fit this band so perfectly. And, um, just everything is just, just kicks ass about this song. Like the, you know, the, like you have the, some of the best musicians in the world. Um, Labrie in his prime, like the, it's just, it all, comes together every instrument gets a chance to shine um just a, a phenomenal um high energy just you know kick ass uh kick ass opener um and uh i'm glad that we have the, this you know wikipedia entry to kind of follow along with because i'm learning a lot about some of the mindsets about like you know lyrical content and things of that nature so it's uh it's interesting and, and we'll get to more of that as we go through it but um Really, really cool stuff, and uh, this is an all-time classic song, in my opinion. And yet, not our songs of the week, so that should put things in perspective about what might be coming later on. Um, Let me just say now, I have never struggled so hard to pick a song of the week as I did this week. Oh my god, for real. There were two tracks that I had going into it, which I thought might be my song of the week, and before we recorded, I had to play them both yet again for the 10,000th time. And I'm still not 100% sure which one I'm going to choose because I love them both. But I digress. We get to track number two, which is Caught in a Web. Um, I've always thought this was an underrated tune uh, for reasons I'll get to in a second. But what are your thoughts on this? Because nobody really talks about this amongst the great Dream Theater tracks. I I always thought it was considered one of the more popular songs from this album. But maybe I created that in my own head. I I don't know. Maybe it was on like one of their '90s live albums, so I just assumed. I don't know. That probably doesn't mean anything, but um, yeah, I agree with you. This, this song has kind. Of, it's got to be like one of the the heaviest and and maybe darkest Dream Theater songs up until this point. Not counting anything that's yet to come on this album, but like the first two albums and the first song on this album, yeah. uh, and then. I mean, the, the, the way that the, the, the guitars and keyboards kick the song off, it, it's, it's, you could, this, you could tell this is a different style of dream theater than what we heard on Images and Words, which I think was, had a little bit more of an uplifting, and I don't know if positive is the right word, but definitely, Images and Words definitely feels more uplifting than Awake. Awake kind of has, I don't want to say that it's dark in the way that like the dark ride was a darker album for Halloween. I don't know that that's the right sort of comparison. It might just be that it's heavier and maybe certain instruments are down tuned a little bit, but I mean, it really, really works. And this is another really uh, killer tune. Um, You know, you mentioned that Labrie is kind of um, tethered a little bit, but there's some parts on the song where you really uh, hit some really high notes um, that, I can't even imagine that he would be able to dream of doing live these days. But um, yeah, this is another really killer track. I love the way that the riffs and the keyboard samples play off of each other. There's some really odd time signatures, which are highlighted by Portnoy's drumming. I mean, like I can't even count the the, the notes. That's how offbeat some of this stuff is. Um but yeah, like Labrie does sound great here. I, I admit, I think it's one of his better vocal performances on the album. And he sounds angry, but effective and still so melodic. Um, 
there's an extended instrumental section where every single song is on full display. And let's not, let's not gloss over the production on this thing. The production on this album is fantastic. And unlike images, John Mayung is a little bit higher up in the mix. You can really hear the bass in a lot of the different spots on this album. Great stuff. And I always found the keys to be very haunting. I mean, like really, really dark and haunting in many ways. There is a song I wanted to post this week from the band Sun Caged. They do a cover of this song and it is spectacular, but it is not on YouTube. So I think maybe I'll have to put it on YouTube so that we can uh, play it for our Sunday Select or something like that, because that is how great that particular cover is um, and it's worth hearing. Yeah, I remember having that MP3 back way, way, way back in the day. Like That was like one of the first MP3s I think I had. Um, so yeah, that's that's really interesting um i and i'm sure i mentioned this when we did images and words i thought images and words had a very strong production i think the production on this album is even slightly better um and for the reasons that you had had mentioned i just think that it um there's more of a cohesion uh of the of the band on a whole it feels that way and it it, it looks as if they um had a different producer on uh, on this album, um, it was uh, John Purdell and Dwayne Barron, um, and they they had produced um, Ozzy's No More Tears album a couple years earlier. Apparently, the band had a difficult relationship with David Prater, who was the Pro- Images and Words producer, and they had a better experience with Purdell and Barron. So um, that might have something to do with a little bit of the uh, production change uh, between those two albums um and as just as far as the lyrical content uh james labrie um i believe was the james labrie and john petrucci uh co-wrote the lyrics all the songs are the musically are um credited to the band as a whole but the there's uh lyrical um credits given and Labrie in an interview said that uh, caught in a web is about a protagonist that has finally determined to live the way they want after being told by society that they have to live their life a certain way. Uh, he says it deals with a, a person that's it's not male or female could be either. And it's a person who has suppressed their feelings for so long and has finally had enough of it and feels that the only way they can really live life to its fullest is to live from the inside out. And that's basically what this person has come to terms with. And they're sick of society uh, inducements and they feel the only way they can go on with life is to live it the way they feel is the truth. And I feel like dream theater has like so many songs that has this kind of, um, message. With yeah, I, I completely, lyrics. completely agree with you. Um, but like I said, it just, um, really, really, really deep introspective, but fantastic. And we get, that brings us to innocence faded, which is the third track. This is a song that I I like. However, I always felt that it was kind of an outlier on this album. And it sounds like they were kind of trying to get on the radio with this song. And I don't know why. It's not even so much that it's a ballad or it has ballad-like tendencies. It's just that even though it reminds me of a power ballad, it's not in the, in the vein of Silent Man or some of the stuff that we'll talk about later. It's just, I don't know, kind of whimsical and and... 
I would always be upset when I heard this song live, ironically enough, because when they were going to play something off of Awake, I prayed that it wasn't that track. And sometimes this would be the only track they would play from the album. And it's it's not a bad song. I actually like it. But I, I, I just think that there are better tracks on the album. And it's almost a victim of being on this album with some other all-time great Dream Theater songs. Yeah, I, I I think I might like this song a little bit more than than you do. I've always been a fan of it, and I think that it kind of um is a it, it creates a nice balance after these two like really heavy heavy tracks. This one's a little bit lighter. I agree, it's not really what you wouldn't really consider it a ballad. It's kind of a just a nice. It's like a nice song, you know. It's uh it doesn't have as much angst to it. Although lyrically, um you know, Petrucci wrote the lyrics to the song uh, kind of uh, in reference to his deteriorating relationship with Kevin Moore, um, because, you know, they were old friends that went like way back and Moore's departure from the band, I think affected Petrucci maybe more than, than anybody else. But um, it's, it's kind of like when the uh, you know, the, the, some of the feelings come alive through the music, but um, I, you know, I, you're going to laugh at me for remembering this, this is just my insane memory sometimes, but um, if you recall, we, we had a surprise party for our friend Ryan in a church basement when we were in high school. And oh, I yeah, brought, of course I brought my stereo uh, with me, with me in a pile of discs and, and kind of just DJed the, the party in, in as much as one can, I guess. And uh, I remember after Ryan walked in and the surprise part, you know, concluded, I played this song. This was like the opening song to the party. And I don't know why it just seemed like it was the right. And it, it kind of has like this, like happy sitcom kind of like yeah. this nice, the, the, this, the, you know, the, again, the lyrics, not so much, but like the song itself is very light compared to the rest of the album. But um, I like that. I, I especially cause it goes back um, to the to the kind of dark the darker you know tones with erotomania and the and the songs that follow um but this is nice and again like uh, uh, there's um some more of the uh Labrie doing some more of the higher the higher parts on the album um yeah I like this song I, I would be pretty pumped if they played it live just because I I don't know that I've ever heard them play it live uh in the handful of times that I've seen the band play well, I, again, maybe it's a victim of circumstance because the three tracks that come after it, um, known as the A Mind Beside Itself trilogy, strap in. Uh, you are in, you're about to go on uh, quite the journey here. Uh, the band basically penned three tracks that in many ways couldn't be any more different from one another. Erotomania, which is an extended ballad. Voices, which is nothing short of an absolute epic, epic song. And then The Silent Man, which is the consummate acoustic guitar-laden ballad. Uh, but it forms this trilogy. And um, we'll start with Erotomania. And I'll say this. I have vivid memories of seeing this song live when they filmed the live Scenes from New York DVD. And when they played this song... I remember I was at the height of my Dream Theater fandom, and I remember saying to myself, if they're playing this and they begin to play the rest of that suite, I'm going to absolutely mark out. And they did. And it was like, this is after they've played uh, all of Scenes from a Memory. They've played an entire 
montage from the from the back catalog with Metropolis Part One, Acid Rain, uh, the Liquid Tension cover, um, Another Day with Jay Beckenstein on sax. So I'm like losing my mind, and then all of a sudden they start playing Erotomania. I'm like, holy smokes! They're gonna they're there's no way they're gonna play all three parts of this suite, and then they did, and then they played Learning to Live. And then they play the change of seasons, and to this day, it's the best show I've ever seen because I I lost my mind as a major Dream Theater fan. They basically played everything that you could want to hear, but this instrumental, while frenetic, every single instrument is on full display. Every it zigs, it zags, it does everything, and I just think that what's so cool is that you actually hear bits of voices and the Silent Man kind of baked into this track in different spots. Just a great, great. Uh, instrumental track, which we don't rave about often, but this one is is worth you know noting. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love the um, just those those like seventies esque keyboard chords that that are playing. Um, the the keys are incredible on this, and and because it's it's an instrumental track, you really get uh, to hear those those keys shine. Um, in maybe a way that, you know, it hasn't so far on the album because there's just so much, you know, other stuff going on. Um, you know what it made me think of, you know, the, the kind of the way that, um, the song kind of, um, previews the silent man. It, it reminds me of what dream theater would do on scenes from a memory, uh, you know, in like Overture 1928, where it would kind of be like a prelude to themes that would be heard later on in the album. I feel like this was kind of a Dream Theater's first uh, crack at, at, you know, story building, I guess, in in, in a musical sort of way of, of kind of like pre- musically previewing something later in the album. And I love that part of the song where you hear that theme from The Silent Man. Um, really, really interesting stuff uh portnoy uh in an interview said that erotomania was written off the cuff as a bit of a joke and parody which is really um quite quite interesting um uh you know it's it, it the song's made up of several different parts taken from other songs or sources um a section that was originally cut from pull me under was used in shaping the song. So that's really interesting. And it, um, goes right into voices. Like I, I can't really imagine hearing this song and then it not, not hearing voices immediately afterwards. It just would be so jarring. Yeah. And they, even though they sound nothing alike, they are made for each other it's like again like almost like the prelude to what voices is i have some strong thoughts on voices but i want to ask you um when you hear voices and this is not a song for the faint of heart it deals with deals with the topic of mental illness uh, i believe petrucci wrote the lyrics to this one um it is a i mean it's dealing with issues like schizophrenia similar disorders to that. And then also the whole, um, you know, use of religion and, and how that kind of plays into mental or disorders in certain ways. This is not a short track by any means. This is an epic track. It's just under 10 minutes. What are your thoughts on this one? <laughs> At a loss for words. Yeah, man, this is a song that I think I was not ready for when I was younger. Um, 
and not because I listen to it now and it absolutely blows me away. Everything about it, um, the the way that the song is is constructed, it it kicks in heavy, it slows down. Um, it's probably Labrie's best vocal performance on the entire album. Um, it's a nine minute just ride. Um, I have a feeling this is, might be your song of the week. Um, it's my song of the week, so we might <laughs> we might be sharing one. I don't know, but this 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 week especially just in a in a situation where choosing a song of the week was so damn hard on this album, this song really blew my socks off, especially I, I played it today and I was just like, good goddamn, like this really is maybe one of the best dream theater songs ever. Um, just incredible and does not wear it's wear out. It's welcome as dream theater does also well on images and words with their, you know, eight, eight to nine minute songs are some of their best things. Pull Me Under, Take the Time, Metropolis Part 1, Learning to Live, which is like, what, 12 or 13 minutes long. Um, They don't overstay their welcome at all with this song either. Um, Just, I just think this song is unbelievable. Um, So yeah, those are my thoughts. Let's let's give it a listen and then I'll, I'll weigh in. Here is Dream Theater's Voices. I am so happy that you picked this song. As I mentioned earlier, I had narrowed it down to two tracks. This was absolutely one of those tracks. There was another. Had you picked something else, I think I would have broken the rules and picked two tracks of the week. That's how hard it is for me to choose between this and one other track. You've made my job incredibly easy, so thank you. Um, This for my money, is a top 10 Dream Theater song. Maybe top five. Uh, That's how good this song is. It is dark. It is brooding. It is infectiously catchy. And every time – I was on the subway yesterday. I was going to Madison Square Garden to a basketball game, and I had this on. It's not like I don't know the song, but I was like – singing to myself on the subway. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get mugged or shot or something. I didn't know what was going to happen, but like I was drawing a lot. I just couldn't control myself. I, the song was on and I just was singing along to every, now I wasn't singing out loud, but I was like mouthing the words. And then I started air drumming. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? But I just get so consumed by a track like this. You have these soft verses contrasted with this heavy, heavy chorus, perfect combo. And if I was going to make a dream theater set 
a two-hour set of Dream Theater songs, kind of like we did for the Patreon folks with our Sabotage set. This would undoubtedly be in that but set. That list. might need to be a three-hour set list, I think. How the hell do you, you narrow down a Dream Theater set to two hours? That would be You play four songs. I, mean, I know. I mean, I would probably have, uh, you know, uh, six degrees of inner turbulence, so that knocks out 42 minutes of the <laughs> set right there. Speaking of which, I think that is something we should do for a bonus episode at some point. But yeah, I mean, this song is... The bridge, even there's multiple bridges on this song. They're heavy, they're pointed, and they really help drive this thing along with such an epic build throughout. And, and then it caps off with this beautiful guitar solo that, like, literally speaks to you. It's almost like he's using the guitar to tell you a story. This song's an 11 out of 10 any day of the week. I'm so happy that you picked it. And I don't think that it was a song that you probably would have picked going into the week. So that makes it even more joyful for me. No, I, I honestly didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was going to pick, but I didn't think it would be this. It, it's just, um, there were a couple of songs on this album that really, um, took me by surprise this week. I, I knew, I, I always knew I liked them all, but uh, this was one of them where I was like, Oh, I think I like this a lot more than I originally had, had thought. Um, just really good. There's even some parts where they did some layered vocals with Labrie doing like high and low at the same yes. time, which I think, I think you'd hear more of that on falling into infinity. Um, and that's what it kind of reminded me of that almost like a, a preview of that. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, a really outstanding song. I'm glad that um, you, you're going to choose something else. Cause uh, it's always nice when there's more to, to listen to and more to share, but yeah, um, Go ahead. It was a, it was a toss up for me. It really was. But um, had you not picked this one, I would have been glad glad to pick this one. And and then you know we we pivot so dramatically with the Silent Man, the end of the trilogy. It is the first really true ballad on on the song, you know, on the album. And I always said to myself, if I ever learned how to play the guitar, I'd probably start with this song because it's just so clean that acoustic guitar sound. And Labrie sounds great because he really doesn't try to push the envelope here. He just stays within himself, and it's quite frankly beautiful. I think it's the best ballad on the album. I know some people might argue the last track, which we'll get to, is the best. But to me, this is the best ballad on the album. The orchestration really pops, especially during the instrumental section. And it always reminded me of Silent Lucidity by Queensryche with a mix of Tesla's acoustic album built in. I actually saw that somebody else made that comparison on Wikipedia and I laughed because I've been saying that, but they, they took the words out of my mouth. What are your thoughts on the silent men? Uh, just to, to avoid like there being a debate over best ballad. I, I wouldn't consider space die best space die vest as much of a ballad as I would a dirge. Uh, hmm. but we'll talk about that when we get there. But, um, this this has always been, and I talk about especially in my teenage days, my my predilection towards um, softer ballads and and you know st- stuff in this area. And I've always loved this song. And I, I don't know if I don't know if you knew this, but uh, when I was living with Brian, he learned how to play this on on guitar, and I would sing along to it. And it was I don't know if anybody ever actually witnessed it but um it was something i remember doing with brian that i really enjoyed and and brian learned it fairly quickly which was i would love to hear that 
I would love yeah. to hear that. Um, but yeah, just a beautiful. Well, my voice has probably gone the same direction as Labrie's over the years, so <laughs> I, I don't know that you'd want to hear it now. But um, I, I just think this is just a really nice song. Um, again, more lyrics about like kind of communication breakdowns. Um, Labrie in an interview said, "We feel that we have to play certain roles when around one of our parents, and we never really get to know the real person." I'm lucky that I behave with my own father like I would a friend. We can joke around and go for a beer. Um, so that's kind of an interesting lyrical note about uh, that song. But it's just a really nice song. And it just goes to show you that, like, Dream Theater is not just about being heavy. You know, they can write a really nice, just, you know, chill, acoustic, uh, just, you know, just a ba- rock ballad. It's a really lovely, really lovely tune. And and it and it caps off an incredible, you know, trilogy of, of songs. That's you know, I I think when I was younger, I never really thought of it as a trilogy because I always liked the Silent Man so much in and of itself. Um, and Erotomania was you know was like a instrumental, so I didn't really look at it as a trilogy. But now that I do it, it. I think it adds more gravity to all three songs. Uh, you know, when it's it's part of this one big, you know sweet if you will i think that makes perfect sense i think that when you listen to each of these tracks not only in the trilogy but on the album i feel like every track has so much character and personality and they all sound so completely different um as as the next track i think is a great example the mirror this track is heavy and it should be i mean it talked this is portnoy's first lyrical contribution to the album and it's about his uh battle with alcoholism and 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 um you know uh, something that he would come back to in, in terms of theme later I on had, i had no idea that this rooted back as far as it did for him um you know because you know we know about the 12 step suite and everything that that went into that and and that began with uh the glass prison uh which was on six degrees which came out in 2001 this is you know seven years prior uh i didn't i really had no idea that um you know he was already acknowledging this this demon inside of him this early on so yeah and and that would rear its ugly head again not only in the lyrics and and the songs but during the recording sessions and, and falling into infinity years and it almost was the end of the band um really tragic in many ways but um, every time I hear this song, I keep saying to myself, this is what I wish Train of Thought, the album, would have sounded like. They were going for a heavier edge on that album. They said they were trying to make it their most metal album, and that's all well and good. There are two songs on that album, and when we cover it, I'll tell you what they are. But there are two songs on Train of Thought, which I absolutely adore. And I think the rest is kind of trash. And I don't like the album because they were almost like trying too hard. Um, trash is not the right word. A bad Dream Theater song is better than most other bands' great songs. But still, for me, it didn't resonate like a lot of the other stuff would. This is the heavy Dream Theater I want to hear. To Play the mirror. Play lie. I love it. Um, but this is a phenomenal song that used to be a tremendous favorite of mine. I think I've cooled a touch on it. But it's faster in spots. It slows down in other spots to more of a mid-paced tune. Some unbelievable drumming during the bridge. I mean, just some unbelievable drumming. And the instrumental section is just a, a, a Kevin Moore special in many ways. Um, great song. 
this uh he even does a little nod to space divest during the key during the solo just a phenomenal tune and uh if you're in a good mood this might make you want to throw a chair or something but <laughs> but it, I, I think that speaks to the strength of the song I, back when i was still you know so new to, to the metal scene this song, th- this riff, I remember, just tore right through me. It was so memorable. Like, just the way that this song started. The-, the guitar riff with those haunting keyboards played over it. I mean, that this song was the one that really immediately stood out to me when I first heard this album. It- it's just a-, a-, a tour de force of just this almost like, you know, Transylvanian... Castlevania like (laughs) like just it's 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 dark and it should be based on you know what it's about but man this song really really rocks and I agree I think I I don't like it quite as much as I did when I was a kid and I think that's only because I like everything else so much more than I used to that it almost kind of it stays where it is while everything else is lifted that's Um, right but um still like an incredible uh an incredible experience and then um you know the the much like they did with uh with pull me under the song just ends in such a uh an abrupt fashion and just kicks right into to lie um if you weren't paying attention you might not even realize that um another song had started because there's not even a a second of a pause in between the two tracks. No, and and lie is is somehow just even more upbeat, but with another killer riff at the beginning of the song. Like it's kind of constructed somewhat similarly at, at the beginning. I remember seeing the music video as a kid and just being like, "Wow, this song is really um, not not conducive to a music video because it, they they spliced the thing up so much that it just kind of took away from the experience." Yeah, weren't they like standing on a bridge or something? Yeah, something uh, like that. That's my recollection of it, anyway. Yeah, just not not my favorite video, but the song has grown on me tremendously. I don't think it really stood out to me when I was a kid, but I love it now. Um, it has this groovy, almost like funky quality to it with catchy verses um, of catchy chorus. Uh, one of the best on the album, arguably. I mean, it's, it's, it's not outstanding, but at the same time, it's just so catchy and you, it just stays in your head. Um, you, another one that you just can't help but sing along to. And, and one of the things I love the most about this song is how the verses so quickly transition into the chorus. I mean, without a wasted breath, there's no guitar noodling. It's just right into from, from the verses to the chorus. And I always thought that, that transition was so cool without the delay. Um, and this really kind of mellow, chilled out bridge, which takes the whole thing down a notch before we get into lifting shadows, which is for all intents and purposes, another ballad. Yeah. Uh, really well, really well put. Um, I really like the James Lebrie like angry vocal that yeah, he does. Much he better than Russell like, Allen, I have to say. <laughs> like he just seems a little just like pissed you off. Know, he's Cana- he's Canadian, so he's slightly peeved. Like he's not really, you know, <laughs> angry, you know, because he's but you know it it really works here. because um, he definitely seems a bit more flowery on uh, images and words. Oh, for um, sure. And and this really works for him, especially because because if he's trying to reduce the amount of high notes that he's doing this actually 
works as a, a really solid replacement for that because he definitely does break it out, you know, here and there with the, the high notes, just, you know, you, you don't want to completely, yeah, you don't want to completely like bail out on, on that signature sound, but, um, th- this works really well too. This is just a, a really, um, just a really like rocking tune. And, and I love the, um, Kevin Moore's keyboards just have this kind of, deep purple-esque kind of 70s, you know, classic rock, classic prog rock kind of vibe to it that I think that the band never really recaptured after he left. Um, and, and God, you know, Jordan Rudis is a, is a friggin' machine. Um, but I've always been a little bit more drawn, as short as it was, to the Kevin Moore era of Dream Theater. I think it was a little bit more understated, but it was it worked without being kind of in your face. Um, and, and I think that's, this song is a perfect example of that because it's just, it's almost like the, these amazing kind of like kind of creepy organ seventies, you know, ELP deep purple, that kind of, that kind of stuff. It just, it just really works with everything else uh, that that's going on. But um, yeah, this is another song that I think I, I, ended up liking a lot more as I got older. It just, um, I don't know. This is like the, the mature fans dream theater album, I guess. I, I don't know. It just yeah, it really, re- it resonates with me a lot more as an adult than it did when I was younger. I, I totally, I totally get that. Um, do you, do you have the same thoughts about lifting shadows, uh, which is the next tune? Because this one, not my favorite. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know it was originally began as a poem and two chords that Young kind of brought to the band. And then from there, they kind of worked a song around it. Not, not my favorite one on the album. I, I think it's better than I remembered it, or I should say better than I used to give it credit for, but it's not my favorite. It, the, the guitars and the keys have this like spacey quality to it. And, here too, lots of orchestration, which was different than you know stuff that had come from the band previously. Um, I think the instrumental section is fantastic, and overall, it's not a bad song. It's just it's not voices, and it's not some of the stuff that would come after this. This is probably my least favorite song on the album, but I that's, agree. Yeah, but that's really more of a compliment towards the rest of the album than than a. a a knock on the song. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, musically it, it's exactly where it needs to be because it's, it's following two really heavier songs and there's going to be a long epic song that follows. And, and I think that along with innocence faded, this is one of the, the two of the lighter songs on the album. Um the title would be used as uh, the band's uh, biography, the title of their biography, um, which, by the way, I have added to my Amazon wish list in hopes that someone will buy it for me for Christmas because I really would like to read it, especially now. I feel like I'm having a uh, an old-school dream theater renaissance fandom, um, which is going to continue when we uh, talk about a change of seasons uh, on this month's bonus episode for you uh patreon subscribers out there but um it, it's a I, the song's definitely better than i remember it being but um it's just uh it's solid it, it's solid mixed 
you know, in between like a bunch of nines and tens, it's like a, you know, a seven or an eight. So it, it, I guess that that's the only thing that it suffers from. Um, but, um, yeah, it's kind of spacey. It's kind of airy, but, um, it's a nice tune. Um, it's, um, I think it's a nice break from all the, the darkness and heaviness. Um, and it's, 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 it's good. I, I think that if, um, if they were, if they had to leave one song off the album, this might be the one. But then I feel like the album might have not have flow, flowed the same way. And I think that you kind of need um, a palate cleanser in between lie and and uh, and scarred. So it, fair, um, fair point. And yeah, again, not a bad song. Just uh, yeah, I think I think we're nitpicking at this point, just based on the strength of the rest of the album. Uh, not least of which is scarred. Uh, if it wasn't voices. This is my other track of the track of the week, track of the month, track of the year. Um, this, for my money, is the most underrated Dream Theater song in their entire catalog. That's how m- much esteem I hold this song in. It is a gem. Um, let's give it a listen, and then I'll come back with a little story about this song and, and why part of the reason why I love it so much. Not scared. So I want to go back to a story about this song. I had gotten tickets to see Dream Theater at a club in New York City in January of 2002. It's B.B. King's for those that are familiar with the uh, old venue in Times Square. And when they announced this show, it was on the cusp of six degrees of inner turbulence coming out. But I had been given a promo copy of Six Degrees. It was the first promo copy I'd ever received of anything by somebody working in the industry who just knew I was a complete dream theater mark and and handed me the album. So I had been fortunate enough to hear um, a lot of this album in advance of, of that particular show. And because I didn't know what to expect at this particular concert, they wound up it was a snowy day. I remember standing outside in the snow waiting for this to, to the show to start. And then all of a sudden they, they, they come on stage and they start playing the glass prison, which made a lot of sense because, you know, they were touring for, for this album. But in the back of my head, I was saying to myself, I, I don't know if they're going to play all of six degrees or if they're going to play some stuff from the back catalog. You just didn't know this wasn't a tour. It was kind of a one-off show. And, the next thing you know, after the glass prison end, they go into under a glass moon and then they go into scarred. And I just completely lost my mind because I had never heard this song live. And they wound up finishing this scarred epic 
by playing the grand finale of, of finale of twenty one twelve as like the closing part of Scarred, <laughs> I f- in, in a club that held like four hundred people, and then the show would go on go off from there. Um, it was bananas, and I say that because this song has always resonated with me, and I'll never forget that particular performance. Um, I just remember marking out like crazy. Uh, this song has beautiful verses, a powerful chorus, and it kind of gets heavy as you kind of get through this thing and you almost it has a different feel than the mirror but it's heavy in its own right uh love the lyrics and the changes of pace here to me this is like prog metal at its absolute finest and it actually reminds me in many of ways of what haken would become especially during the instrumental section i feel like haken borrows heavily from what the instrumental section of this song sounds like perfect song and for whatever reason i feel like it doesn't get the same due as some of the songs like metropolis or even voices in many regards it's uh it's weird because like you, when you hear a song like this and, and you think that there's at this time there's only three dream theater albums this is you like this would not have flown on images and words like it, it just would not have fit at all and it's amazing because like you look back on it and these are like you know, two of the most dream theater esque dream theater albums, but they, they're so different. And this song is such a, an example of that. Um, it, but it's everything that makes this album such a great, and I'll use the word again that I used earlier counterpoint to images and words. Um, th- this really just phenomenal one, two punch of, of albums. Um, it's a shade lesser, uh, to me that then um voices but uh, i definitely can appreciate your enthusiasm for this you know 10 plus minute song it, it goes along with um voices as the two longer uh tracks on the album which are fairly short for dream theaters uh <laughs> dream theaters purposes uh it doesn't look like they cracked uh the 10 minute uh the 10 minute mark on any of the songs on this album which is is Oh, no, I'm sorry. This album does crack 10 minutes. It's uh, just shy of 11 minutes, but still, um, never to me, it never really gets boring. I, I remember this being kind of a skipper when I was younger because it was just, I just thought that it was kind of, uh, it kind of dragged, but I, I clearly don't um, agree with that anymore. Uh, I, I think this is a really kick-ass tune, and, and it's the, I think you need a song with this kind of technical prowess and heaviness before you go into this like really i i am excited to to talk about space divest because this, this is one of the most unique songs i think i've ever heard i am too and i have to be honest i never really understood why fans went bonkers for this song it just never grabbed me and you want to talk about needing a little bit of time or needing to get older to to appreciate something I, it took me decades to appreciate this song, and I really have finally said to myself, what a fitting way for Kevin Moore to leave this band. Um, this was always considered like his track, and Portnoy refused to play it live as a result of the fact that he just always assigned this to be Kevin Moore's track. The band would play this song live. I had the privilege of hearing it, and it really did in many ways help change my perspective on this song. So I guess thanks to Jordan Rudis for that. But it is a dark, brooding tune that is just so bleak that you, 
you 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 can't listen to this song and just be happy. Like you you have to be depressed when you hear this song. But like it's really powerful, and it's just a really interesting way to close out this long journey in many ways because this is not a a short album by any means it is you get your money's worth when you bought this disc absolutely and i mean it's pretty much this you know you always do when it comes to dream theater um this song always was a parallel in my mind with halloween's longing from chameleon which we talked about just weeks ago but the reason i say that is because the last track on both albums was written by the a departing member of the band. And it, it ended up being like their swan song, at least from a studio perspective. So while longing was kind of like the swan song for Michael Kiskin in, in Halloween space divest kind of acts as a swan song for Kevin Moore in dream theater. Um, it, it's, one of the most depressing sounding songs I've ever heard, but my God, is it an absolute masterpiece. Um, and it fits on this album of, of songs that are a little bit uh, on the darker side when, when compared to images and words. Wow. Like talk about just ending things in such a, a down on a down note, but like in the best possible way, I can't imagine this album ending with any other, song and it really um it just really like i think it really puts an exclamation point on kevin moore's time with this band um just a a really um i I don't know it's it's always been one of my favorite dream theater songs even though it really doesn't i don't think it doesn't remind me of any other dream theater song I've ever heard, like, or, or really any other song I've ever heard. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's incredible. The use of, of, um, samples from a room with a view, the fifth estate, uh, the, the, where you actually hear Conan O'Brien talking to Andy Richter, like (laughs) there's news commentary during the OJ Simpson freeway chase. I I mean, it's so interesting how dream theater would sprinkle these kind of things into their songs to add more depth and flavor. Um, but man, like just the, 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 the way that it was described as, um, Structured around a dark, brooding duel, or sorry, duet between Moore playing the piano and vocalist James Labrie. I mean, I couldn't have put it any any better. Uh, the rest of the band kicks in for a dramatic outro, fading out until uh, Kevin Moore ends the song with the piano passage that opened the song. I mean, all I can think of when I hear those last few seconds of the song is goodbye, Kevin Moore, and thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not that he died, but just that that was the end of his run with uh with the band i'm pretty sure that he told the band he was leaving while they were still recording this album so like he they they knew that this was pretty much it for him and um you know i i think that he's probably one of the more underrated metal metal musicians of all time just because i think his tenure was so short especially in retrospect when you think about how much longer the band would go on without him um, but at the time it, it felt like a pretty big deal that he, that he left the band. And I still tend to think that it was. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's exceptionally well said. I think that it is remarkable in many ways that this would be the way to go out. The one thing I would add is that after he left Dream Theater, he would record a couple of albums uh, with Jim Mateos from Fate's Warning. It was that OSI project. Some of that stuff actually does remind me of Space Dive Vest, not uh, just in terms of the way that he uses the samples and some of the keyboard patches. Uh, there is some resemblance there. But again, uh, you know, your point is well taken. This is kind of unique, uncharted territory and, and just puts a cap on this wide was- ride of an album. He was the keyboardist on A Pleasant Shade of Grey, correct? Yeah, which which also I believe has some, you know, keyboard uh isms, if you will, that uh are 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 kind of like this. So I it, I guess it makes sense, you know, it it sounds a little bit similar in that regard. Well, I I I want to end our talk on Space Divest with this um interesting uh thing that James LeBrie had said in an interview, which I I think is really poignant um about, you know, kind of uh Kevin Moore's uh, thought process in writing the, the the lyrics of this song. He said, uh, Kevin Moore saw this photograph in a fashion magazine of a beautiful model wearing a space dye vest and he fell in love with her. He carried that magazine around with him for ages, but he realized that the only way the innocence could be kept so that he could retain that love for her was if she stayed on the page. If he'd met her, all that would have been lost. Uh, Portnoy recalled that when the rest of the band first heard the song, they thought it was so very, very different. We didn't think we even wanted to fuck with it. Wow. <laughs> Those were uh, Portnoy's words. But um, I just thought that was a really interesting uh, way of, of looking at, at something. It's almost like that old adage, um, you know, don't meet your heroes. Because yeah. if you, you know, if, 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 if you take away that, that fantasy and the fantasy, yeah, that behind it. Or that fantasy that they, that they were, aren't the greatest people in the world. Like, I mean, I, I've I've definitely experienced, you know, the 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 positives and the negatives of, of meeting somebody and letting their art either um, you know increase in value on a personal level or decrease in value, and that's a very real thing. I, I once I don't know if I ever told this story, maybe I have, but I once stopped myself from introducing myself to Flora Jansen uh, after a Nightwish show because I was afraid that if she was like not super happy to see me that it would ruin Nightwish for me. And I get it. I should have known that, you know, Nightwish would ruin themselves uh, without my help. <laughs> they didn't kidding. need you for that. No, yeah, but, um, but it was just that sort of thing where it's almost like I wanted to keep that mystique alive. And so I chose that over an Instagram moment, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. I like that. Um, that was a, uh, an idea uh, as part of this song, but man, what a, what a dreary ass song. I will also end with this. This is one of my favorite all time stories. Um, I got, I don't remember when it was, uh, had to be Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven, Oh eight, somewhere in that general area. I get a text from Knops and he's, uh, he's drinking at a bar and he, and he's hammered and, he plays this song on the jukebox at the bar. Oh my god! Just, just like, just kills, kills the vibe of the bar by playing the song. And so I texted him earlier today, and I just was like, "Do you remember that?" And and he goes, "He, this, he goes, I was drunk. I played it on a jukebox. Everyone got quiet. 
bartender said, what is this shit? And changed it. Sorry, I don't have more of a recollection. And I just replied, that's all I need. So that's really, I wanted to, I wanted to really share funny. that because could you imagine being at a bar and just, <laughs> especially not knowing the song, just hearing something like that come on and being like, I will take it oh, one okay. step further. I'm not sure there's a worse song you could play at the bar <laughs> than Space Divest. I'll just leave it at that. This is the worst bar song you could possibly pick. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate I appreciate his boldness in playing it anyway. I, I love it. I love it. Um, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about two bonus tracks that are kind of linked to this I, album. I, 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 just, I also okay. want to point out that, that me and Caleb once played Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence on a jukebox, and it didn't get skipped. for. <laughs> so they played all 42 minutes of it, but... Not the bartender that Knops went to couldn't handle seven minutes. Talk about perspective. Yeah, well, well, I, I, I can't argue with that. Um, just two bonus tracks that I think are worth mentioning. The first is a Japanese bonus track, and that's called Eve, a uh, instrumental ballad that really never kind of grabbed me. And I say ballad because even though it's instrumental, it, it's got that kind of airy feel to it uh it would become in my opinion kind of a precursor in many ways to some of the stuff you might hear on images uh sorry on falling into infinity it's fine it's just not really that noteworthy to me the second bonus track if you will that's kind of linked to this album is a reworked version of to live forever which was a b-side on the images and words tour uh and, and images and words album but they really redid the track uh, completely different for 1994 and the release of this album. That being said, here again, I thought the original was much better than the, the remake in 1994. It, it's, it's a bit meandering. It picks up a little bit, but the, the 1991 version I just thought was magic in many ways. And this is just, uh, you know, I, I didn't think it needed to be reworked, um, especially if it wasn't going to actually wind up on, on, on Awake. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't really have strong feelings about either song. I don't know that they would have fit this album very well, but um, To Live Forever was a a B-side on the Lie single, and uh, Eve was a B-side on the Silent Man single, so for the sake of completeness, I thought we would uh, mention both. But um, yeah, they're both um, pretty pretty mellow compared to the rest of the album's uh you know, tracks. One other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap it up was what is, you might know better than me, but what was the, the story behind uh, puppies on acid? Because it seems like that was the opening riff to the mirror. And it was dream theater had been playing it before awake was written. Because if I recall, it was on the live at the marquee live album that came out in between images and words and awake. Um, do you know if that, if that was kind of the precursor to the mirror or that they just borrowed that riff? Uh, I, I just always thought that was interesting that, um, yeah, it's, it's a, cause really... I remember, I remember getting that, uh, once in a, once in a lifetime, uh, live album that came out after falling into infinity. And I remember looking at the track list and I was like, what the hell is puppies on acid? And then I, turn it on and it's the opening riff to the mirror, but then the rest of the song doesn't play. So I, I was just curious if you had any insight on that. So on the images and words tour, they did this jam many shows 
and it was called Puppies on Acid. And it was basically Petrucci on a six string guitar playing this, you know, jam. And it ultimately was reworked for a seven string guitar. And that was essentially what the mirror would ultimately become. So it was a reworked version of that one piece of the song, which led to uh, the entire uh, song as you know it on Awake. That's my understanding anyway. Okay, interesting. Uh, it's something I just always wondered over the years because I just was like always fascinated that there was just some random Dream Theater song called Puppies on Acid and there was never really any like detail as to what the hell that meant or why it was there so a lot of inside jokes with this band i'll be i'll be honest um but yeah scale of one to ten what are you giving this uh as we as we take to stroll back nearly 30 years oh man this might even be harder than choosing a song of the week um we gave we both gave images and words a 10 um which is pretty rarefied air i think we've only ever both given an album a 10 three times, maybe four. Um, definitely four at the absolute most. And uh, Images and Words was one of those. Man, I don't know if I can give this one a 10 also, but it's it's pretty damn close. I'm going to give it a nine point... Uh, a nine point six two five. Okay, I, I I laugh just because fractions are our friends, and I do prefer uh, I do like decimals. I wanted to give the album a ten, and I think that the high points are about as high as you can get for music. But there are some songs that are just not even nines that I think they're like less than nine. So I have to dock it a little bit. But you also, like I said, have two tracks that I think are. Um, among the best that the band has ever made. So for me, I'm going to give it a 9.75, just a shade shy of, 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 of a perfect score. But I'll say this, listen, the reality is if when I listen to this album, there is very little music that's been created that I enjoy more than this. So, you know, I, I, with that being said, it's about as high a score as I can give without saying it's a perfect album. It's not perfect, but it's damn near close. Well, that gives us a, a average of a 9.688 uh, <laughs> out of 10. Uh, so, I, I mean, at, at least for us collectively, it doesn't really get too much higher than that outside of a couple of, of pairs of 10s that we've given uh, over, you know, uh, this is our 180th episode. Granted, not every episode has been an album, but then there's also been episodes that had numerous albums. So, you know. 180 albums, give or take. Uh, only three or four are getting two tens. Uh, I, I'm sure it'll happen again someday. But uh, yeah, th- this is um, this is up there for me. Uh, probably my three favorite Dream Theater albums, along with uh, Scenes from a Memory uh, and Images and Words. Um, just really, just a really fantastic album, and and. I really just love how unique it is compared to images and words. And the fact that the band was able to make a, an, a different album and still make a, a very, very high quality album following, you know, what many consider to be like one of the most important genre defining albums uh, 
ever. So uh, definitely a, 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 a really strong follow-up. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I urge uh, if you haven't to go back and listen to our, our uh, episodes about images and words, and then the album that follows awake uh, falling into infinity. And I invite uh, all of you who have, uh, you know, who are members of our Patreon to check out uh, later this month, we'll be talking about the uh, change of seasons EP um, along with the, the cool uh, live tracks that were added as, as kind of a, a, an addition to that 20 plus minute um, song. Uh, but yeah, um, this was uh this was an absolute joy. Um, I, I love when going back and listening to albums like this, that just, they just make me so happy. So uh, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, t- totally. Uh, totally. Uh, I'm with you there. Um Thank you for picking it. I think it was not that it was overdue, but it was certainly timely, and uh, I definitely enjoyed going back to it. Uh, before I get into our pick for next week, I would be remiss not to mention just a ton of tours that were announced this week. Um, Caligula's Horse, the Australian prog metal band, has announced their North American tour. For those that are a fan of the band, you may recall that they had announced the tour just prior to the start of covid and obviously that was put on ice, but they finally are doing a make good. They are starting the tour January 31st in Washington, D.C., wrapping up February 19th in San Diego. So they're doing a run of shows all throughout the United States and uh, dipping into Canada as well. So good luck to them. Definitely a band uh, you know we've talked about here with, on the podcast. Uh, with Earthside. Yeah, with Earthside. That's, that is absolutely correct. So a tour I am looking forward to. They are playing New York City the day I get back but the day after I get back from 70,000 tons. So not the easiest one to get to, but uh, a show that would be uh, fun to see. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely take stock of that. Um, actually, I, I stand corrected. I believe the tour ends in Vancouver on the 25th. So they actually are doing a uh, longer run of shows than I expected, including a, a stop in Hawthorne, New Jersey, which I have no idea where that is, but uh I may have to find out because it may just work out a little bit better in terms of uh, timing for me. So we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens there. Um, Judas Priest going back on tour with Sabaton next spring, starting in Wallingford, Connecticut on April 18th, ending in Syracuse on May 22nd. It's funny. The other day I was talking about Judas Priest and I was saying how I've never seen them live. I would really like to go see them. And they're playing with Sabaton. So it's kind of a cool show. Uh not really anywhere that close to me, but we'll consider taking a little trip for that one. And finally, Pantera and Lamb of God going out for a run of shows in February, starting in Sunrise, Florida on the 3rd of February, ending in Quebec City on the 27th, playing Madison Square Garden, which I just found to be quite the uh, venue for those guys, especially at this point in their career. So uh, one other tour worth mentioning, Ailstorm going back on tour in the U.S. with Elven King for a run of shows in March and April, but uh, kind of playing a lot of B-level markets uh, as far as the U.S. goes. New York, not on there. Um, Chicago, not on there. Los Angeles not on there, so they're playing a lot of smaller cities, which is cool. I hope they, uh, I hope they draw well in every venue that they decide to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always good. I, I, you always see like people are always, you know, 
especially bands like Halloween where they're only doing a handful of shows and they pick the main cities and you have people that are like, you know, in Albuquerque, New Mexico saying like, why doesn't anybody ever come here? Well, sometimes it's nice when bands do so. So, uh, that's, that's cool. And, uh, freaking really interesting to see Judas Priest and Sabaton playing in Syracuse. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if I will be, uh, living here still by then, but, uh, if so, I, I, that might be something, uh, worth checking out, um, along with, uh, the Armored Saint headline show in Rochester. Um, kind of cool to see some, uh, some of the bands make their way up to upstate New York. Cause you don't tend to see too much up here, unfortunately. So, uh, good stuff. And with that, we get to next week. And, uh, you know, taking a little stroll down memory lane, we have obviously talked about Anthrax here on the show. It's a kind of a recurring bit here. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not choosing another Anthrax album yet. We've covered uh, Metallica by both request, and I think we actually picked one of their albums as well. Uh, Certainly covered Megadeth, and I remember enjoying the Rust in Peace episode but we have not covered anything by the last of the big four. So I think that it is time to do another thrash album. I will spare you because the one I chose is less than half an hour. So it's a very digestible 10 song album, but the, the band is Slayer. The album is rain and blood from 1986. I am. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to this album, not only in terms of the album itself, but the label, how they got picked up for this particular album and, and, a lot of interesting little tidbits that I think are worth noting, and a band that I don't think you're too familiar with, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't think I know any of their songs outside of uh, Raining Blood, um, and that was mostly due to an incredibly frustrating Guitar Hero <laughs> uh, version of that song, one of the most difficult uh, Guitar Hero songs to play. Um, but yeah, that's the only song that I really... No, so I'm glad you chose this band because I am woefully ignorant about uh, their entire catalog. So I don't think you'll be, be uh, giving it a 9.6, but at the same time, I think it's definitely worth noting and, and definitely an album that we should be covering. So uh, to that end, that will be next week. We will bring you the uh, Patreon bonus episode as well for those that are on our Patreon. We think that uh, it's going to be quite the uh, quite the month as we trudge on towards our year-end list so i look forward yes. to that as well and and following our our slayer episode will be our december request episode and uh needless to say i think some of our more impatient listeners will finally get what they're <laughs> waiting for so uh stay tuned very well enjoy the week my friend uh this was a pleasure i will talk to you soon all right take care buddy <laughs>